0: staff pastors here at New Hope Church and I'll just echo a little bit of what we were talking about earlier. It is really good to see young people and college students back. It just really does my heart well to see you all here and to have you here. We're going to be talking about a really serious subject this morning. We're going to be talking about the persecuted church. I know that's kind of hard after eating turkey all weekend And now to hear about something so serious, but it's something important. It's something that we need to think about, pray about, ask God what He's calling us to do and how to respond. And so, what we're going to do is talk about what's going on around the world in various countries in ways that Christians are persecuted. And then we'll come back about halfway through the message. And we'll go over to 2 Timothy. And so let's start off just thinking a little bit about this issue of persecution. Open Doors Ministries has compiled some statistics. And they've got a little PowerPoint slide here I'm going to share with you. This slide is from a couple of years ago, but I looked up the 2018 statistics. And they're very close to this. Around the world, approximately every month, there are 322 Christians killed for their faith every month around the world. Every month there are 214 churches and Christian properties destroyed by persecution. Every month there are 772 forms of violence, including beatings, kidnappings, rapes, arrest. And the US State Department says that there are 60, 60 countries around the world that are putting pressure on Christians and persecuting them in some kind of way because of their faith. I'm going to give you just a small sample of the kinds of things that are going on. Open Doors Ministry uses what they call the Persecution World Watch List. And every year they do some research and they have this research documented. And then they put together a list of various countries where persecution is happening. And so this video clip tells you a little bit about that particular list and then we'll come back and I'll share a few stories with you. Open Doors estimates that in the top 50 countries alone, over 215 million believers face intimidation, prison, even death. That is one in 12 Christians worldwide. But the list is not just numbers and figures. It represents those who have decided to follow Jesus No matter the cost, we believe there is only one body of Christ. And when one part suffers, every part suffers. We hope you feel called to learn more and pray for the millions of believers around the world where persecution is a daily reality. Last time I was in India, I spent a little bit of time with a representative, an Indian pastor, who is uh, with Open Doors Ministry, he has to be very undercover, and so even on Facebook, he doesn't use his real name. And so he pointed me toward the website opendoorsusa.org where I found some of these different stories. You can go there and look some of those up yourself, not right now, but uh, later this week. And so these are a few stories that were shared there. North Korea has been at the top of this list for the last five to six years. And in North Korea, one of the elements of their society is extreme indoctrination that permeates the whole country. And so even in families, people are persecuted because of their faith. I found one story about a believer in a North Korean prison camp named Hia Wu. And she tells her story of the secret fellowship, the church fellowship that she started when she was in a prison camp, she writes, The Bible verses I recall from memory gave others hope. Then she says they saw what she was doing, where she was caring for people. She was letting the love of Christ shine through her example. She'd share food with various people. She'd do their laundry. She says, God used me to lead five people to faith. Right in the middle of that prison camp, she led five people to faith. She says... I tried to teach them the little I knew about Jesus. I didn't have access to a Bible in the camp. But on Sundays and at Christmas, we met together out of the view of the guards. Usually, that was in the toilet. Imagine that. The only place where they could meet out of the viewpoint of the guards was in the toilet. There we held a short service. I taught them the Bible verses, songs that I knew. We sang almost inaudibly so that no one would hear us. This is a true story going on right now. Other true stories. Nigeria. And I've seen uh, the kind of persecution going on in Nigeria comes from Muslim extremists and terrorists. I saw some of this in eastern Kenya when we were there, when we were in eastern Kenya. Um, In Nigeria it's Boko Haram. They've got these different names. um, Eastern Kenya, it's Al-Shabaab who uh, come down and persecute Christians. And one of the pastors in Eastern Kenya told about how they'd come down and burned uh, some houses in a Christian village there. In, in Nigeria, they do the same kinds of things. And in fact, there's a story that I read about some believers who are captured And so Boko Haram killed some of these believers, and then they put out a short little video clip. And here's what this spokesperson for the terrorist organization said. He said, we have kept our word exactly as we said by killing Hawa Lehman, who's working, listen to this, who's working with the International Committee of the Red Cross. That's why they killed her, because she's working with the Red Cross. They're killed because they are considered as apostates. They were once Muslims. They've abandoned their Islam the moment they chose to work for the Red Cross. If we see them, we kill them. Men or women. Or we keep them as slaves. That's the kind of thing that's going on in our world. Third place, Pakistan. Pakistan. Pakistan is rated by this organization as the most violent nation in terms of their persecution against Christians. And so they do things like attack churches, they abduct people, they force marriages of young girls with older Muslim men, and these kinds of things go on. One of the most high-profile cases that has wound down recently, you might have read about it in the newspaper, maybe it popped up on your feed on Facebook or something, is the case of Asia Bibi. Bibi means sister, sister Asia. And she was taken and put in prison in solitary confinement because she was out working in a field, doing labor out in a field. She was thirsty. And so she took a drinking cup when it was break time, and she drank some water, and the Muslim women who were there said that she had spoiled the cup. She made the cup unclean because she drank before they did. They got into an argument, and they came to her home, and they began to beat her and her family up until they could extract a confession from her that... She had said things against Islam and against Muhammad, which they did. And then she was taken by the authorities, put in prison for eight years. She had to be in solitary confinement because they were afraid that she would be poisoned or something. She was recently freed. The Supreme Court said there's no evidence that she spoke against Islam... And what happened, if you've been reading the news, what happened was there was an outbreak of rioting. The streets were filled with signs that said, hang Asia Bibi. And they said someone must pay for what she did. And this is about four weeks ago. This was going on. A lot of us probably haven't heard of this because we just don't keep up with the news that's going on around the world. Now country right next door to India. While Pakistan primarily has a Muslim population, India has both a large Muslim population and a large Hindu population. And I'll let this video just tell you a few facts about India and then I'll share a few stories of some of my friends as they've had to undergo persecution in India. Anna Sanders and I were talking a little bit before this service that so often people don't know here in the West. Just don't know about things like trafficking that goes on around the world. People don't know about slavery that goes on around the world. People don't know about this kind of persecution that goes on around the world. But it is very real and it does happen. Pastors that I hung out with and leaders that I hung out with and have hung out with, particularly just this last trip, they were telling me about when they all start a church in a Hindu community, oftentimes there's intense persecution that comes, certainly verbal uh, persecution and intimidation that comes against them. And if there are Hindus that come to know Jesus as Savior, the intensity of that persecution just ratchets up. So one of them was beaten up. All, all of them had verbal intimidation that came against them. One of them was beaten up. Another one was thrown in prison. And these are daily kinds of occurrences. So Open Doors steps into the gap and they'll help find representation. Like when a case goes to the Supreme Court, they'll help find lawyers who can represent Christians and pastors. They'll go into a village where a Christian's home is burnt down, and they'll provide care for that family. And so one of the things we can do is we can be praying, and we can be aware, and that's one of my hopes, is that you go to this website or others, You can go to Voice of the Martyrs and other kinds of places that provide information so we know what's going on. So a few ways to respond. One is to remember that we are one body. My friend from Open Doors Ministry over there was telling about how he was at a conference and he was presenting on the state of persecution in India. And some of the people there said, well, so what? How does this involve us? And I know our hearts are tender to know and to learn and to grow, but sometimes it can feel pretty overwhelming, can it? And it can feel like, well, that's over there. And so this representative from Open Doors Ministry, he said, well, God's word says we are one body. That certainly applies to us as an individual church, but it also applies to us when we think about the church around the world. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12 says, we are one body. And then it says at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26, it says, when one part hurts, the rest of the body hurts with it. When one part rejoices, the rest of the body rejoices with it. And the question I have to ask myself, am I aware enough of where the body's hurting, to hurt with the body. Am I aware enough of where the body's rejoicing to rejoice with it? Now, one of the privileges I have is to come and to share with you what's going on. And that is a part of my responsibility to come back and help you be aware of what's going on and point you in some direction so we can be more aware to help us to partner well with the missionaries that we're partnered with because we are one body, and we have opportunity to also be a voice for the voiceless. For persons in prison, like this situation with Asia Bibi in, in Pakistan, who's going to know about that unless people from the West start to write about it, start to talk about it, start to share about it, and sometimes we have opportunity to talk with congressmen, to make governments, our government, aware of these kinds of things. Sometimes we have opportunity to come and be able to put some pressure to be able to help lawyers to represent Christians in ways that help to alleviate some of that suffering that goes on. So we can speak as a voice for the voiceless as Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4 says, Defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed, Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. There are wicked hands that exist in many places. And as believers, we're especially called to step in because Jesus has stepped into our world. He's our rescuer, He's our redeemer. And so we have in likewise, in like ways, we have opportunity to step in and to be rescuers. We pray verse you're probably familiar with, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering. One part of the body suffers, we suffer with it, as though you are the one being mistreated. As Hebrews speaks of this fact that we're called to step in and to pray and share in the suffering of others. That's what we're called to do as we pray for persecuted Christians around the world. And then we encourage. Back in Hebrews again, Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily. So when I was over in India, as I often have opportunity to do, I had opportunity to preach and to share. And so one of the places I preached was with a group of pastors and pastors undergoing persecution. And so... I'm going to give you a little bit of a taste of what I shared with them from 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you have a Bible, turn over there. Whether with the Bible you brought along or you can look up on your electronic device, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 14. What we learn in 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 14 is that the gospel is worth suffering for because it's a treasure worth living, living for. The gospel is worth suffering for. Whether you're an Indian believer, a Pakistani believer, an American believer, in Adele, Iowa, Dallas, Center, Iowa, in Dallas County, the gospel is worth suffering for. Now, the kind of suffering that we have, we can't say, well, I've never been beat up. I've never had these things happen. My appeal to you is to consider whatever your situation, to ask yourself, and for me to ask myself, What are the situations I'm stepping into? Yes, it's not the kind of suffering that our brothers and sisters are suffering around the world, but am I willing to step out and step in to situations where I have to make a choice between what's easy or what's hard? 2 Timothy would remember that the Apostle Paul is nearing the end of his life, and he's now imprisoned. He's suffering for the gospel himself. He's remembering those things that are most important, most valued. He's writing to his dear friend Timothy, who he'd ministered with around the world. He's saying, here's the things that are important. And one of the reminders he gives to Timothy over and over again is that suffering for the gospel is worth it. In fact, he brings brings it up in every chapter of 2 Timothy. Here in 2 Timothy 1. Then in 2 Timothy 2, verse 3, he writes, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. In chapter 3, verse 12, he emphasizes, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Then in chapter 4, verse 5, he exhorts Timothy to endure hardship in ministry. Timothy's like us. We don't like suffering. Do you like suffering? I don't like suffering. We don't like suffering. But we will suffer. So suffer for what matters. In fact, Jesus himself, as he went to the cross, what did he pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember? In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, he's suffering ultimately on the cross. And yet he prays, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. No one enjoys suffering. In fact, we shouldn't enjoy suffering or there's something... That's mixed up in our heads. No one enjoys suffering, but we are going to suffer for something. Sometimes for our sins, sometimes to achieve greater goals. And the appeal of the Word of God is decide who you're going to suffer for, what you're going to suffer for, and make it worthwhile. We're not going to do that on our own or in our own power. And so, verse 8 says, we suffer for the gospel by relying on God's power. Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. We know earlier in the chapter, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, they were reminded Timothy not to be timid, but to... Step up to be courageous in the gospel. Again, not in his own power, but as 2 Timothy 1.8 says, by the power of the gospel. Now, Paul calls himself a prisoner. But who does he say he's a prisoner of? Does he, say, does he say he's a prisoner of Nero? No, he says I'm God's prisoner. What? How are you God's prisoner? Well, what he's saying is that God has me. He says, God has. Brought me to Rome, God's sovereign, God's still good, and He has me in His hands. And I'm not Nero's prisoner, he doesn't say. He says, no, not a prisoner of the Roman system. He says, I'm His prisoner, God's prisoner. And it reminds Timothy, it reminds us here in the Word don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of our faith. It's a little bit like this. Let's say that. You're a scientist, and you're doing research to discover a cure for cancer. And you find it. You find the key that will bring a cure for cancer. Are you going to go and hide that? Are you just going to sit quietly in your lab and say, Oh, there's other things to be discovered. That's interesting, but um, I got I got more things I need to learn, and I need to do more experiments. No, you're going to call a press conference, right? You're going to say, "Hey, hey, we got a cure for cancer." Well, that's what the Word of God says. We're gonna say, "Hey, hey, we got a cure for the cancer of the soul. We got the best news there is. We want to share it with you." We don't want to keep it to ourselves. We don't want to just go on down the road. Don't be ashamed. Situations where people can tease us, call us names. Ah, you Christians, you just have that Bible. These things, and they ask questions. Are these things really real? Aren't they just myths? And... You know, do you really believe in Genesis? And uh, what's all this stuff about the end of the world? And we can be intimidated. And Word of God says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, don't be intimidated. Be released to speak of Jesus and how good he is, how much he loves you, how much he loves your neighbor, your friend, your family member, your co-worker. Suffer. Suffer for a purpose that lasts through eternity. Verses 9 through 12, we won't read those this passage, but in this passage, he delineates, and I could just have a whole sermon on this section of scripture, he delineates what it means that the light of the gospel has come. That into the darkness stepped the Son of God who brought the light of the gospel. He destroyed death, it says he's brought life and immortality through the gospel. And in this gospel, the Apostle Paul says he was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering as I am. And God invites us to suffer for eternity because eternity is worth it. If we're going to suffer, some suffer for something that matters. Some Suffer for something that lasts. What did Rick say? Everything is going to turn to rust or dust. Except the souls of people. So we're going to suffer for something. So suffer for what matters and for what lasts. And what lasts is eternity, is grace that was given in Christ Jesus, as this passage says here. That transforms our view of suffering. What's the worst thing that could happen to us? Get killed. Get killed for our faith. What can our enemies do to us? They can't touch our soul. So suffer for what lasts. Suffer for what's assured, the end of verse 12 says. Yet I'm not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed. I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. Note, I know whom I have believed. Now the Apostle Paul could have said, I know what I believed. In fact, there in verses 9 through 12, there's a lot of theological truth that could be drawn out and many passages of scriptures. You go to Romans and he could say, I, I know what I believed. I want to share that with you. But he doesn't say that. He says, I know whom I have believed. He doesn't say, I know why I believed. Again, he could say that. We had a series on apologetics that we did here in the fall. We could say, here's why we believe. But he doesn't say that. He says, I know whom I have believed. He could even say, he could have said, I know when I have believed. And the Apostle Paul, in various places, in Acts, we find his testimony. But he says, I know whom I have believed. He's talking about a personal relationship. I've believed in Jesus. I've trusted in Jesus. Christianity is not about rules. It's not about working our way to heaven. It's about the gift that God offers you and me. And we say, Jesus, I trust in you. Your death on the cross for my sins, your life, your resurrection life. And it's about beginning and continuing that personal relationship with Jesus. If you don't have that today, today be a great day to begin that and to continue that, to wake up tomorrow morning And come before God and say, God, thank you for your grace, that gift of eternal life you offer to me. I trust in you. I follow you as my Lord, as my Savior. I want that relationship with you. Not religion. Relationship. I know whom I have believed. Do you know? Do you know whom you have believed? And are you believing? Are you trusting? That's the invitation given here. And we can trust him all the way to eternity. He says, he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. He's talking about the day of judgment, the day when all accounts will be squared away. And he says, I can trust. Brother, sister, you can trust all the way through eternity, your heart, your life to him. It's worth it. It's worth, worth it to suffer for the gospel, for Jesus, he who loves you so much. I know sometimes we question, don't we? In some days, some situations, and we say, God, you know what I'm going through? He does. And we're reminded here in the Word of God that what we suffer for, the one we suffer for, it's worth it. Suffer because you have examples. Trustworthy examples. Paul says, what you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Follow the examples you've been given. You don't have to read too far to see a culture that is challenging us every single day with untruths, with lies, with perversity, with issues that are not true, which are not right, which are not good, which seek to undermine our faith every day, right? Just every day, coming right at us, face to face. And so, the Apostle Paul says here: Remember those who are examples. Find an example, someone who's faithful. And First Corinthians eleven. The Apostle Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Or literally, that passage says, mimic me as I mimic Christ. In other words, we all recognize that we have feet of clay. We all recognize that we are dust and that we all come as sinners. But we also come as saints. And as Christ shines through us, follow that example of Christ shining through us. Follow the example you've been given. Then finally, suffer to guard the treasure of the gospel. Verse 14, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We're not going to do it on our own. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Why are you trying to live your life by yourself with your own power? Why are you doing that? Why am I doing that? Because at times, flesh, sinful nature, the world, we let those get the best of us. So come back, be grounded in Christ, in relationship with Jesus who loves you, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. What Ephesians says Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be filled with our own ideas our own methods, our own hard work. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Suffer to guard the treasure of the gospel. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This is the promise we have. It's a great promise. It's a great promise. We have the treasure of the gospel. It's a treasure worth living for. It's a treasure worth suffering for. That's my appeal to you. Respond to the word of God and let's pray for our brothers and sisters and ourselves at this time. Lord God, we come to you on this day. These statistics that we looked at, these are real people and real churches all around the world. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. They are sister churches and there is great suffering that goes on and yet I know that the believers in other countries also pray for us because our suffering is not the physical suffering. Our suffering is the suffering that comes because of this society we live in, which seeks to uh, lie to us each and every day. And Lord God, help us to be grounded in your word, fill us with your Holy Spirit, help us to live for you. And we do pray over the lives and the churches of our. Brother and sister churches in places like North Korea and Pakistan and India and Nigeria and Kenya. And Jesus, for those believers, keep them faithful to you. Minister to them, bring people in their lives, and maybe even some of us, either on this day or in the future, who would come alongside of them and encourage them. Use us, we pray, not for our glory, but for the glory of Jesus forever and ever. We pray. Amen.